Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday the 31st of August, and we ended last week with the virtual Jackson Hole Conference and the Fed now targeting inflation of 2%. Whilst in Japan, the world learned news of Abe's resignation after return of his illness. Stuart, we start the week with nearly 26 million COVID cases, but somewhat alarmingly, one of the world's most populous countries in India is having a surge of new cases, and the world has had its first case of COVID-19 reinfection. How did those currency markets react to the Powell update? And is Arbe's resignation expected to have any impact? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick off with some of the themes. And you're right about India, but India isn't the only place that's having a surge in infections and, and still some attention on Europe there. But um, more broadly, it was familiar price action over the past week as risk assets generally traded higher with gains on Wall Street leading the way as the S&P 500 is now up for seven straight sessions and for eight of the past nine weeks. Uh, As you've mentioned with Jay Powell's speech, once again, accommodative policy was central to the moves uh, with anticipation and subsequent delivery of that new policy framework from the US Federal Reserve, providing comfort to investors that they'll continue to run extremely loose monetary policy throughout a multi-year investment time horizon. While investors may reflect on whether it represents a seismic shift or an evolutionary step, there is now a clear fundamental difference in how the Fed are approaching their two primary objectives around unemployment and inflation. While there are no immediate policy decisions to come out of that new policy framework, we know from recent communications that the Fed are still leaning towards more policy accommodation and not less, uh, which does continue to drive investors to consider which assets would benefit from a more inflationary environment, uh, the type that shows up in the real economy and not just in asset prices. On exchange rates, the struggles of Europe with the pandemic second wave were really subordinated to the signals that's come out of Jay Powell's speech in laying out that new policy framework, sending the US dollar to a fresh two-year low on that Bloomberg dollar index. Uh, It wasn't just the euro that was able to shake off bad news as the focus on that dollar overwhelmed any negative impulses or challenges elsewhere, including the RBNZ pushing their own extraordinary policy options, including negative rates, or the continued stalemate in post-Brexit negotiations. Uh, The yen staged a rally on Friday following that announced resignation of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, which you mentioned. Uh, He was, of course, the architect of the Three Arrows policies, which contributed to a massive yen depreciation from late 2012 through to 2015. And closer to home, that combination of US dollar weakness and risk asset strength has seen the Aussie dollar have its strongest week since June, up almost 3%, to its highest level since late 2018. And Stu, just quick on the US dollar, was its reaction to Powell's speech immediate or did it occur over the following days? There's been some, uh, I suppose, uh, announcements that this is a a speech that gives on giving and that the US dollar took some time to make its move. What's your take on that? You know, a, a lot of the reactions 
in the immediate aftermath to that Powell speech were uh, showed a bit of indecision from investors because he didn't really deliver on new policy options or immediate policy options to address that new framework. But as investors digested that speech in more detail, uh, it's become increasingly clear that the Fed do intend to run hot, run very accommodative monetary policy for a very long time, uh, which does undermine the dollar, as does the prospects for higher inflation in the US. It does undermine the US dollar in the long run. So, you know, really, you're right there in that the immediate aftermath, there was that indecision, but Friday certainly saw investors make up their mind. Thanks, Stuart. Robert, we might now switch into equities and commodities, please. Um, and surprise, surprise, as Stuart alluded to, uh, equity markets in the US continue to surge. Um, still tracking high, but there's that interesting story coming around equity volatility. Can you please bring us up to speed also on how Jackson Hole, from your point of view, impacted precious metals that have been on a bit of a tear over the last few months. Yeah, Craig, um, you're right. The US equity markets, again, posted an amazing weekly return up, both markets up, or NASDAQ and S&P, both up over 3%. Probably a bit more even in terms of, I guess, historically, we've seen the NASDAQ significantly outperforming the S&P this week. NASDAQ was up 3.8%, and the S&P actually kept up quite well, being up 3.3%. More broadly across the world, the Eurostox managed to post a positive return. It was up 1.8%. But the Australian and FTSE markets both posted uh, slightly negative returns between 50 and 100 basis points down. I think, as you mentioned, the most interesting thing that we saw last week was actually that volatility was up while, and this is US volatility was up, while the US market was again stronger. Now, the VIX finished up the week only 50, 50 basis points higher, which is, I guess, not particularly exciting. But I guess what was more interesting was actually the October VIX future, which covers the US election. It jumped almost two vol points to finish the week at 31 vol points. And so we've got a significantly steep term structure of uh, the current spot market being uh, 22. And I guess in two months time, we're seeing 31. So some obviously the market's pricing in a lot of volatility around the US election. In commodity markets, precious metals' response to the Jackson Hole, um, I guess, was somewhat anemic. Uh, the market actually finished down on the day. But I guess to the point about markets sort of taking time to digest the speech, we did see gold and silver both up on the week. So gold was up 1.4%, silver was up 3.2%. But both markets are around about 5% below their peak of a couple of weeks ago. Thanks, Robert. Uh, Beverly, we might uh, start to drill into this Jackson Hole update. Um, and one of the outcomes I believe that occurred was we saw a little bit of inflation kick in as well. So can you please update us all on what the Jackson Hole virtual update means for rates and the markets? Yeah, sure, Craig. Yeah, last week, um, the Fed unveiled a new approach to, to monetary policy, basically. It was, it was a very big event um, for the market. It's been a review that's been more than a year in the making. And, you know, market has been getting a lot of rumours um, along the way. So it was fairly well 
uh, expecting what we got in the end, which was the eventual announcement of the average inflation targeting framework. Um, but I think, you know, there was still a lot of question marks in the market um, leading into the Powell speech about whether the Fed was quite ready um, to, to reveal the full details and whether they had in fact been able to reach a consensus on the committee. So while what was announced was expected, it did come a little bit sooner than the market thought. Um, and the fact that they were able to release at the same time, you know, their revised statement of long run goals um, made it the event itself um, a little bit of a positive surprise for markets. And we know that um, they've got a whole bunch of high profile Fed speakers lined up every day this week um, to follow up that the message that Powell gave last week. Um, so you know, BEI markets, which, you know, we've been talking about for many months now, they've been in a, a very strong period. They've been rising fairly consistently um, since April. Um, they were starting to um, price in a lot of expectation last week. They were rising quite firmly into this event. So there was some risk that um, it was a bit of a, you know, buy the rumour, sell the fact type event, but that wasn't the case. The, the, the break-even market was very pleased um, with what it got from the Fed. Um, so 10-year break-evens actually were up 13 basis points last week. So a very, very strong result last week. Um, they're now at their highest level since early 2019. So, um, you know, continuing a very strong run and the, the new Fed um, policy announcement last week um, has, has given them an extra little boost. We're still way down from pre-GFC pre averages. Again, we still think there's a lot of value in this market, um, still have a lot of way to go before they're fully normalised. So, well, you know, we're still pretty positive on that asset class. The big reaction, though, um, came elsewhere in the rates market. Market, and that was in the nominal yield curve. It was a very, very sharp bear steepening um, on the day of the Powell speech. And, and I think there's there's a couple of things there. One was there, I think there may have been some expectation that with the release of the new policy might also come a promise to uh, cap yield curve um, moves or, or to cap, you know, yield curves or yields in general, and that didn't come. So we did see a very sharp announcement on the day. So the curve, the 530s curve, steepened 16 basis points last week. It's up to 123 now, which is actually an all-time new high this cycle. So that succeeded where it got to in early June. So um, making, you know, brand new levels in the curve here. So that's definitely one to watch. And I think it was a very important week because I think markets finally have now got in its hands a central bank that is effectively promising to be behind the curve. Um, it's only natural um, if the market starts to believe the story that the Fed is finally able to get inflation back to normal territory, that it, we're going to be feeling some tremors um, in that nominal long end. So central banks can hold the front end and we know they're going to because, you know, markets are very comfortable that rates aren't going anywhere for some time. But the move in higher inflation expectations, um, you know, is starting to be felt in, in the long end. So when we, you know, we've been in this environment where COVID um, and, and the weakness uh, and the economic uncertainty 
uh, impacted by COVID ha has got many bond investors in this, I think, quite um, relaxed mode where they're expecting no volatility um, and very suppressed bond yields forever. But I think, you know, last week could be a little bit of a wake up call for bond market investors that a continued normalisation in inflation, you know, will eventually need to be felt um, somewhere, you know, in the yield curve. And, and last week was the first sign of that. And look, it's a very important announcement that we got last week. Whilst, you know, we didn't see massive moves globally on the day, it's very much a regime shift for global central banks. It's it's a definitive step back from the consensus on central banking that's been in place since the late 70s. You know, at that time, you know, all the, the academics and central bankers concluded that the best thing monetary policy could do um, was to keep inflation in check. And that really has driven central bank behaviour for, for the last 50 years as their primary objective. And now what we've had from the Fed is a reassessment on that. And that reassessment, you know, may have wider implications. And so what, whilst, you know, the Fed has really been the first of those central banks to make that definitive shift, it could just be the first. And we might now see other central banks um, consider how to make policy changes as well. And I think Paul is actually going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of those very interesting recent comments um, in Europe as well. Yeah, thanks, Bab. I, I think it's, you know, more than the listeners have ever heard of Jackson Hole in their lives, right? Um, probably it's more than they've ever wanted to. But I, I don't think we can underestimate the significance of what happened last week. As Bev alluded to, it takes markets time to understand regime shifts. It certainly takes markets a very long time to understand what quantitative easing was and what it was going to mean. And I think this uh, inflation targeting is, is the same again. It's very much a strong change. And we've seen it. The, 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 the effects of this is going to be felt globally. Um, Philip Lane, the Irish chief economist of the ECB, was out on the same night as Jackson Hole's announcement talking about inflation and talking about inflation targeting and how COVID, the pandemic, has shifted their curve in terms of what they were targeting and, of course, how they need to get that back on track. So instead of going with the same trajectory from now, they want to increase that uh, trajectory and get to the point that they wanted to pre-COVID. So what does that mean? That means that the um, ECB is essentially going to look at running inflation hot as well. So this is going to become a global theme. It's going to become a global central bank policy. And um, there'll be a competition over this as, as things heat up. And what that means pretty much, um, you know, the ECB's uh, policy of close to but below 2% is essentially gone here. You know, I think more of a symmetric 2% is perhaps a done deal. Um, above that's maybe a little bit of a stretch for the ECB, but I think that's got very significant ramifications just globally. You know, you're going to see the Bank of England, you're going to see a lot of people starting to play this. And of course, that feeds into emerging markets as well. If you want me to cover that, Craig, basically, you know, that weak dollar helps all of that external perspective that the emerging markets have. And, you know, this is something an asset class that we've been, uh, you know, interested in for quite a while. It's been, been quite attractive. Um, we've got some big, huge data points this week out of China, PMIs tonight, uh, India as well. We've got the GDP and we've also got data from Brazil and South Africa. So all of that uh, sort of fundamental is really sort of flowing into these um, factors such as, you know, the Fed the policy there, the low rate policy, the weak dollar, how that's affecting them. And, and what we've actually seen, and this is something that we've talked about a few times, is of course we have these issues 
with COVID. We have these problems on the on the growth side, but they're starting to see the green shoots of a recovery. I think it's really interesting. You're starting to see flows come back. Uh, Argentina, as as early as tonight, we actually might get an announcement on whether they've got the full uh, agreement on the 65 billion restructure. Uh, that's coming in at 55 cents. Uh, we'll also hear more from Lebanon this week, which will obviously be uh, a major restructuring that'll have to happen there. And in face of all of that, we're actually seeing flows. So, you know, actually last week, we actually had about four and a half billion net inflows in the emerging market debt. And so that theme that we've been talking about continues, you know, and it's really coming off a lot of this Jackson Hole and, and the policy, central bank policy. But essentially, you know, you're seeing a feed through to many different asset classes globally. Paul, can I just take you back to the China PMI, which you sort of quickly glossed over? What are we expecting there? Because, of course, I'd imagine it being a China sort of uh, production uh, data stat that that might have quite an impact on the markets. And my second question for you would be, mm. given the way that you and Bev have both spoken about the impact of the Jackson Hole update and particularly the inflation impact, what might be some of the things we should be looking for that might work against inflation that is happening in the market at the moment? Yeah, uh, certainly. Um so from the, 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 the manufacturing PMI we're seeing, we're not expecting massive data, but we're expecting a continuation of that improvement. Uh, certainly with China now has pool parties and whatnot, it certainly seems to be on a bit more of a upward trajectory than previously. So we're say, definitely seeing some sort of small improvement there, and but but a continuation, very much continuation. Uh, in terms of inflation, what 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 can go wrong? Um, I, I think the main crux of it sits with the pandemic and what what happens there in terms of uh, um, the unknowns that we could see in terms of a dip into. Um, Deflationary tension, you know, more, um, you know, as it morphs, etc. Uh, that would be the main issues that I would see to this whole inflation theme. And I think it's a very exciting theme. I think it's going to take time to play out. It will play out in many different aspects of the market, um, from tech companies to inflation break-evens to the dollar to emerging markets. It, it encompasses a lot of different aspects. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul. And Richard, we might stay with a related topic, which uh, of course was Powell's speech, speech last week. What was the impact in the global, the macro credit markets? The same theme seems to be that those central banks accommodations that Paul, Bev and Shu all referred to earlier. So can we get the update from you, please? Yeah, sure, Craig. Look, you know, we have obviously talked a lot about the Jackson Hole Symposium um, on today's podcast, but I think it was very interesting for the whole market, but also the credit market standpoint too. So, you know, that that move to average inflation targeting indicates the Fed's happy to let the economy run hotter for longer. So, i.e. easier monetary policy is here to stay. The large Fed balance sheet, including the capacity to buy credit, will not be shrinking anytime soon. Uh, so this is obviously a short-term positive for risk assets, including credit. Longer term, it does open up for the Fed for a potential policy mistake of letting inflation get out of control. And this would be problematic for risky assets and credit, but this is certainly not a, an issue for right now. And if it does happen at all, it, it will be you know something for well into the future. You know, moving to the Fed's current buying of credit, we note that um, last week the Fed on average brought around 24 mil per day in its secondary market IG facility. This is up from the 12 to 13 mil per day average we've seen in the last few weeks. 
this is a small increase was probably in response to a little bit of indigestion that we have seen in the in the markets and that's really just around the higher than average supply in august we're still obviously well well down on the 300 mil per day we saw when the program first launched several months ago and you know the fed as we know have always maintained its buying would be in direct response to the functioning of of the market. The fact that the Fed stands ready and willing to buy much bigger sizes if need, it really lessens that tail risk for for credit markets here. And of course, globally, we also have the ECB and the Bank of Japan buying credit directly in the market. So still plenty of support uh, elsewhere as well. And finally, just continuing that theme of central bank interaction with credit markets, thought it was worth commenting on the RBA's term funding facility in Australia. You know, you'll recall that that's a three-year term funding facility the RBA is offering to all Australian deposit-taking institutions at a rate of 25 bips. The facility is 150 bill in total. It's offered in two tranches. The first um, 90 bill offer ends in September and the remaining 60 bill in, in March. So far, we've had 38 bill um, being taken down by Aussie ADIs. And really the conversations we've been having with bank treasurers is that they're going to look to take down most of this allocation. It's interesting that to date only 38 bill has been taken down. And I think that really talks to the abundant liquidity on offering markets right now. But with one month to go before the, the first tranche comes to an end, we'll be we'll be watching um, closely these flows. And we really think that you know these flows will step up um, week over week for for the last four weeks. Thanks, Richard. We might stay locally as well now and wrap it up with Patrick and that update on the Australian reporting season, please. Yeah, thanks, Craig. We're coming to the end of Australia's August reporting season and that's provided the most detailed window yet in terms of how the pandemic's impacted the performance of, of local companies. So generally speaking, the results have probably been a bit lacklustre relative to equity market expectations. And we haven't seen the consensus beats on the same scale that we saw during the offshore reporting season. Around 75% of the S&P 200 companies have now reported their annual earnings. And in aggregate, revenue's probably been in line with estimates, but around 55% of companies have missed their earnings estimates. And that's driven an aggregate earnings miss of 4.5%. Thanks, everyone. And in summary, Jackson Hole has dominated our narrative today with those extremely loose monetary policy updates looking like they're setting in for some time to come, having an impact on our global currency, inflation and bond markets. And for our investors, please look out for those sharp divergences starting to form at the country and sector levels within those very strong equity market prints we're seeing. And are we starting to see the early signs of the US election impacting forward markets with those forward-looking volatility levels we saw earlier? In a more more normal market environment, would the US election be a bigger topic for us to be discussing? Thank you for listening to our Market Moments podcast today and have a super week ahead.